This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, the inevitable was confirmed on Saturday in a less than enthralling nil-nil draw with Coventry. There wouldn't be much point discussing that game at the best of times, but even less so when Albion's playoff hopes were officially killed off by it. So, with Albion condemned to another season in the Championship, and if reports are to be believed, are going to have Steve Bruce at the helm, we're going to spend the next three pods going through the squad and looking at the players at our disposal, assessing their season and determining who should stay and who should go, very much through the lens of how long they've got on their contract, how much money they're on, how realistic it is to actually sell these players. Not just going to say get rid of players because we know that's not that's not the reality of football. You can't just get rid of contracted players. You have to find somebody to take them off your hands. So today we start with the attackers. And Pete, I think probably the best place to, to start is with our top scorer, Carlin Grant. And we've discussed Carlin a couple of times on the pod. With the numbers, I mean, realistically, it's not actually that bad, is it? I mean, he's, he, he's our top goal scorer. He's second in assists. If you actually produce man of the matches based upon the data, he, he he's a, he's the one that's apparently turned in the most uh, the most standout performances of uh, with with four. He has the most shots per game as well. But I think when you looked at the data, you found that with with Grant, it was largely all in condensed spurts, wasn't it? Yeah, looked at it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, and it was yeah, kind of just complete ups and downs in his entire performance. So in terms of his expected goals, that would go up and down alongside. Same time as like his expected assists and various other metrics. So it was kind of a case of him being excellent or being being poor, which I think is backed up from when you watch him as well. He is our top goal scorer. He's our top goal scorer, but he's he's not that great compared to the other strikers in the in the league. When you look at the league average for like expected goals, he's marginally above that. His finishing rate's marginally above the average um, so when you look at his goal scoring 
in comparison to other strikers in the league. It's you know it's not not anything special really. Also, I think you had a look at Grant before we before we even signed him, and I think because uh, you and I obviously have conversations off air. I think I think you looked at his his data before we signed him and basically said we overpaid. We overpaid for a guy whose 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 data really there was nothing to suggest in there that he could translate that one really hot season in terms of goals that he had had in the championship into becoming a Premier League striker, which realistically was what we were looking for him to be. We, we were looking for him to be our Peter Odd and Wingy when we signed him. Yeah, and it's just a quick look um, at some of the metrics. And again, when you compare him to the, the average striker in that championship, it was the 2019-20 season when he was at Huddersfield. Again, his expected goals per game was lower than the average. His finishing was very slightly above it. He wasn't taking particularly, um, wasn't taking his shots in particularly high value areas. The only things that really did stand out was that his expected assist per 100 passes was pretty high in comparison to the average. And he played a lot of um, what I've called bounce passes, which is basically either short sideways passes or backwards passes. So the kind of thing you'd expect to maybe a target man to, to just lay off passes. So that was quite high. So maybe we saw him as someone that could link up play in the Premier League and, and maybe create some chances for his teammates. But yeah, the, he doesn't really stand out as a, a 15, 16 million pound striker from that season. But the other thing is as well, positionally, it didn't make an awful lot of sense because he played off the left for Huddersfield. That's predominantly where he's played for us in the championship. Obviously, Bruce has changed the system in in recent weeks and gone to more of a two up front and therefore Grant has had to adapt because there hasn't been a left, a wide left attacker position for him to fill. But when we signed him, and I mean, I mean it seems like once... Bilic uh, rather, rather rather gave up on the the lad from Zagreb whose name escapes me for for a moment. Um, that, that Grant was his number one target positionally, and given the system that Bilic was was looking to play at the time, I don't I don't really understand why because the the role that we were crying out to fill was that central one, the one that. Charlie Austin and Hal Robson Carno had largely shared in the promotion season. And Grant was never he he's he's not that player. You know, to be fair to him, he's been he's been very good when he's played wide of a wide of a front three, wide left of a front three, generally speaking. Not brilliant this season, but certainly for Huddersfield, he'd been good in that position. And you could if that was what we were looking for, you could see the logic behind it. But I just don't I don't know whether whether um Bilic had 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 blinkers on, or whether the recruitment team, or Dowling, or whoever it might have been at that time, weren't doing a particularly good job. I mean, the the the, the idea that that the the recruitment team in the last couple of years wouldn't be doing a particularly good job is not going to be a hard one for anybody to to get their head around. But whatever it is, it doesn't seem like. It, it logically made a lot of sense and uh, and it doesn't seem like the scouting was was terribly good on this because what we were looking for was an out-and-out out nine, a central striker. And we bought a wide man, didn't we? Yeah, well, I think he played a bit of both for Huddersfield in that season. But when I've compared his numbers, it's two strike, it's against strikers. So if you are saying he's a wide man, then obviously his numbers would look better than they do um, right now because he's obviously a wide man, the average Expected goals for a wide man wouldn't be as high as it would for a striker. And he, in that Huddersfield season, he, he averaged about 0.28 per 90 for his expected goals, which is equates to a goal almost 
every three games, which if he is playing as a wide man, then I think you take that because if you've got a striker that's going to score your goals as well, then, you know, they'll start to add up quite nicely. Your wide players are getting one every three. But yeah, to go into the Premier League off that season with Huddersfield as him as your main striker, then yeah, it, it does seem a bit quick. We're sort of going to end up talking about Grant and Robinson together in a moment, Pete, because I actually think there's quite a lot of similarities between the two. And to be fair to them, they've kind of, they've almost bundled themselves in together because they, they clearly have a good friendship. They have a good partnership on, on, on the pitch and the qualities that they have, the positives around them and the negatives around them seem to be quite similar. So we'll come to Robinson in just a, in just a moment, but something that we're going to talk about with Robinson a little bit is the some of the some of the way that the fans feel about him grant has shown whether more has been made of it than needed to be in in recent weeks but some reactions to being substituted against nottingham forest which was hugely understandable i can understand his frustration but it was understandable that he would be the one to come off after furlong had got sent off after after 17 minutes because at that moment in time, what you actually wanted to do was keep it to 1-0 and hope that we could maybe have a go at them late on. Obviously, that's not the way it panned out, but that was would have been the thinking at the time. And there seemed to be a reaction from Grant then. And supposedly there was a there was a bit of a reaction from him as well on on Saturday. And uh, I just wonder whether I mean it's been a frustrating season, but there's a lot of talk about whether or not this squad has the right attitude. Is he potentially part of that problem or is this just social media making a, making a, making an issue where there maybe is none? I think it's hard to tell when you're not that have the connections to the, to the players in the club. He seems to be like that sometimes, but again, I don't, I'm not sure how much you can read into, into players body language a lot of the time, because sometimes it's just what they're like, but they're, it's not actually, they're not displaying how they actually are, if you know what I mean. So I think it's hard to tell in terms of that. He has been our top scorer, um, and I think strikers tend to have a bit more of an ego than other players, especially when it, you know they often see a lot of the glory by scoring the goals. So in terms of that, and just being subbed after 20 minutes, you can understand why I had that frustration against Forrest. But yeah, like you say, he was kind of the only option to, to bring off because anyone else being taken off would have kind of wrecked any kind of structure that we, we did have. Um, not that we have much of it anyway. Moving on to Robinson, because I completely understand that point of view. And I, and I don't think there's as big a PR job to do with Carl and Grant or for people to do with Carl and Grant to sort of rehabilitate him in the eyes of the of the fans as there probably is with Callum Robinson. Because, we, of course, we had, the, we had the incident against Blackpool where he seemed to pull out of going for a ball with the goalkeeper that he could have got. I was right behind it in the Birmingham road end. I, I felt he pulled out a little bit. I, I felt the keeper was hesitating, scared that he was going to bring Robinson down for a penalty. And I felt that if Robinson had gone at it full throttle, he could have got it. That being said, and I, I'll happily place this on record. I, I don't then condone the booing of his every touch that, that followed afterwards. Yes. I was on my feet shouting at him that he, that he should have gone in for that ball with the goalkeeper, but I then sat back down and didn't expect the rest. No, no, not the rest. A portion of the supporters to then boo their own player. I, I can't. I, I can't get on board with that. And I'm sure. And fair enough. If if you if you believe that 
he warrants it. And I realise it's a culmination of things with with Callum Robinson, but I'm just never, I'm just not going to condone it. Somebody getting booed who's who's wearing who's wearing the shirt it, it, when they when they're touching the ball. I I don't I don't particularly like that. It doesn't sit right with me. But anyway, whatever. And then there was some booing of him on Saturday as well. Before we get to the numbers around Callum Robinson, Pete, is there a, is there a way back for him with the West Bromwich Albion fans now, or are are we at an untenable position when it comes to Callum Robinson and, and his relationship with the supporters? I think if he starts the season and puts in scores five in five or something like that, then I think there's yeah, I think there's a way back. I think it's a shame because of how things have soured this season. Because I do think there's actually a good player in there, and well, I, I think he has shown it on. At times, it's just that maybe pulling out of challenges and and not putting in the defensive work is kind of sour the relationship between him and supporters. So yeah, and I not, mean it's worth it's, it's worth noting that whilst I don't condone booing of him, that wasn't the first thing that he had pulled out of this uh, this season. He's it, he he has bottled challenges at times. Yeah, exactly. And I think if it hadn't have been for that, then we might be looking at him in a different light. And in fairness, if he'd got a bit more lucky with his, his attempts on goal, like with a lot of our strikers, to be honest, lucky or be more clinical, whichever way you want to put it. But um, I think basically all of them could have scored more than, than what they have on a in a good season. Um, and obviously we'd be looking at them, at them in a completely different way. And we'd probably be sitting in a completely different place on the table as well. Yeah, I mean, let's turn to the numbers because Robinson's, again, they're not, they're not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. OK, he's got half the amount of goals... Of, of Grant, as much as you can have half of an odd number in terms of goals. He's got seven compared to Grant's 15. But he, he, he is our top assist maker with, with eight. He's also third in terms of, of shots per game. So he is, he is producing in matches. I have to say, when I went through the numbers earlier, one thing that struck me, though, was that his decision-making doesn't seem to be brilliant. I mean, he takes 0.8 shots from outside the box per game. So realistically, you, you, you're talking a shot outside the box for every, every, what's that, about every 100 minutes that he plays, something like that. And he hasn't scored one yet this season. And he's played a lot of minutes. So there's got to come a point when that becomes a really, really bad decision from him all the time, that he's, he is taking a lot of shots from outside the box and they're not going in. Whereas Grant, who also takes quite a lot of shots from outside the box actually does score some so I always think you can defend a decision with a player if it goes in the back of the net you can defend them but Robinson some of his decision making it, it doesn't help him he doesn't help he doesn't help himself either sometimes with some of the some of the flicks that he does when things are going against us I think you know keep it simple sometimes and it doesn't it doesn't help him but generally speaking he does produce Pete, but again, very similar to Grant. He produces in bursts and they seem to only produce together as well. I know it's something we've discussed on, on, on previous pods, but probably worth, worth revisiting. It's like they can only play well when they're both playing well, because you talked about Grant when he was at Huddersfield playing a lot of bounce passes it's like he needs that partner in crime and Robinson is that for him but when Robinson's off it he's off it and Robinson because he because his his strength is clearly assisting 
far more than his his goal scoring because his goals, the majority of his goals came in a in a bit of a burst right at the start of the season, and then he had a huge huge gap in terms of goal scoring. So his his strength is having somebody to 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 assist, and equally when Grant is off it. He hasn't got someone to do that. So they, they rely on each other so heavily. And it does feel like it's to the team's detriment. So going back to Robinson's long shots, I think you can't just take the... It's difficult to just take data on that. You kind of got to look at all the different situations and what the other options would have been. You know, if there's a simple little through ball or whatever to play that someone's one-on-one with goal, then it's a poor decision. To me, it's a poor decision whether you score that long shot or not really. Because um, that kind of comes down to a bit of luck as well. If you can set someone up for an easier chance. In terms of his goals, he's when you look at it on a per per ninety basis, he's Grant gets zero point three five per ninety and Robinson zero point two seven. So it's not as far away as it seems when you look at just the the number of goals over the whole season. And that's partly because of Grant's penalties and also partly because he's played more minutes. When you look at the expected goals on target, so the quality of the finish, and compare it to the actual expected goals to kind of get a measure of the finishing. Robinson's the only one that adds value to his finishing by putting the ball in, placing the ball into good areas and, and basically having good shots on goal. So it seems like the, the bigger issue is that keepers have pulled off good saves against him and he's kind of been unlucky to not score at a much higher rate. In theory, he should have scored it as it, the rate of his expected goals and that's 0.36 per 90. So that would have been more than, than Carlin Grant has this season. So I think he's got a bit unlucky in that respect. And you mentioned his goals at the start of the season. I've got here that he's had 10 big chances this season and he's got our best conversion rate with the big chances at 70%. So that would equal seven goals. So um, you mentioned earlier that he scored seven. So it seems like all his goals he scored this season were, were big chances. Just off the top of my head, the one at Luton, that was a tap in at the back post from a corner. And I think he got one against Sheffield United as well. Was it Cardiff? Where he, was, it, was that the one where he scored from within the six-yard box or something from across? Then there's yeah. Fulham, obviously, where he was played through. Yeah, so he get. You know, he, he takes his big chances and he, he gets a good amount of them as well. Um, and yeah, like I say, he's been our most clinical striker in terms of his big chance conversion rate. So let's get to the, the nitty gritty here, Pete. What do we what, what do we do with these two in the summer? Because the bigger quandary here with these two, probably more than any of the other players that we're going to talk about, is is the finances around them. There's It's hard to know exactly what players are earning because there's different websites that will give you different numbers as to as to what players are actually are actually on but these two are undoubtedly at the top end of our wage structure i think you know if if we're to conservatively say that 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 grant is in the 20 20,000s a week and that robinson is probably somewhere between 15 and 20,000 pounds a week the first thing to say on that is that if you were to, and they've both got fairly lengthy contracts as well. Robinson has three years left. Grant has four years left. So the, the the first thing to say is that there's not a lot of clubs in the championship that could pay that. And realistically, I don't think there's many clubs in the Premier League that would take either of these two players. So if we were to look to sell them, then I think we'd have a real problem because who who are your buyers who are your buyers for for these two players the other issue is that of course grant is being paid for in installments so if you were to sell grant you would want at least what is left to be paid off on grant which 
I think is about 10 mil over the over the next four years, because otherwise you're going to be in a hole over the over the next four years. You're going to be in negative equity on Carl and Grant, which would be a bad place to be. And I don't see anybody paying 10 million pounds for Carl and Grant in this market or any other for that matter. So I think you I think you're in a really difficult position when it when it comes to selling these two. But the, the flip side to that coin is if we do bring in Carol and if we were to look at this and say we we want another forward, somebody's probably gonna have to go to make that happen. But I I think that it probably would be better for everybody at this point. How even though I do think he's a good footballer if Callum Robinson moved on just because of his relationship with the fans. And I think it would take some serious repairing and, you know, I'm just worried. I, I've seen it before. I've seen it when, when, when a player is not particularly well liked to the club, that it can be a long way back. So I think, I think I, I actually, I don't think there's any way Grant leaves this summer. I don't think with the money that's invested in him in terms of his transfer fee, that is still to be paid off the wages that he's on and the length of contract that he's on. Uh, the only possible way Carlin Grant would leave this summer would be on loan. And I don't see how that makes any financial sense to do that. So I don't see Grant going at all. I think Robinson, if we could find a buyer, could go. But if he is on somewhere between 15 and 20 grand a week in the championship, who on earth would take him, Pete? I do think you struggle to find someone to take him. And yeah, I think I think Robinson we'd have more use for, to be honest. But Obviously, the relationship with the fans is difficult, and he's probably the easy one to to move on because of the length of the contract and the wages. Um, yeah, do, do you agree that there there just isn't a way to move Carl and Grant on this summer? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the only way you could do it is on a loan, where and you probably have to fund some of the wages. To be honest, because you know it's relatively high wages, and and he's he's a top scorer, but he's not done. Lows to deserve a move. I'd be surprised if one of the clubs that came down went for him. And obviously they they'd be the most the clubs with the, the biggest finances, so the most likely to be able to afford him. But I couldn't see any of them going for him. So then you're looking at clubs that haven't got as much money to spend and obviously you'd need to think about subsidising those wages. So to me that would be the only way to to move him on. Robinson's probably a little bit easier because I think he's shown a bit more this season in what he can do. Um he can be creative. He's been pretty successful in his dribbles uh, and he, he has got shots got a good expected goals per 90 so I think there's more use for, for Robinson if we've got DK up front next season then it might be nice having Robinson having someone to, to play the ball through to as a proper striker and you know make the most of that creativity but if you can't repair the relationship with the fans then there's not really any chance there and you're kind of better off better off looking for looking for a move for him yeah so I think to sum up, I think largely where we're at with this is that both strikers have their definitely have their uses and both strikers could do a job for us next season. We, uh, I think we, we just financially don't see that there is any market for Carlin Grant unless we take a huge financial hit on his wages and by sending him out on loan rather than permanently. And on Callum Robinson, I think... We both agree that if the if the relationship with the fans is irreparable, then he probably does need to move on. But then the market is so small for him that, but but not as small as it would be for Grant. And maybe there is more of a possibility of moving Callum Robinson on. But again, we're probably going to end up taking a bit of a bit of a financial hit on that. Moving on to the other 
forward, the other proper striker in the squad, because the other two are attacking midfielders, wingers that we're, that we're going to talk about in terms of senior players. Um, and that's Andy Carroll. And obviously he is, he's very different in a number of ways to the two that we've just talked about, which is why I've kind of sectioned him off from, from Robinson and Grant. Firstly, because he's not our player. Well, he, he's, he, he's not technically our player beyond the end of the season because he's only got a contract till the end of the season. So it's not a question of, whether we move Andy Carroll on, it's a question of whether we keep Andy Carroll. That's the that's the far more pertinent question. And I think just from previous pods we've done, I would be very shocked if Pete and I weren't on the same page on our answer to that one. But also in terms of the type of striker that he is, he is extremely, extremely different. Um, he is much more a penalty box striker. One thing that stood out for me in the numbers is how few of... Grant and Robinson's shots were inside the six-yard box over the course of the season. And it was something that actually frustrated me a lot early on in Valerian Ishmael's reign was the amount of balls that I was seeing getting whipped across into that six-yard area because there was a point when Connor Townsend was delivering the most crosses of anybody in the division and the most high-quality crosses as well. And nobody was meeting them. And it was a real frustration. I can't help but feeling if we'd had Andy Carroll early on in the season, rather than somebody like, you know, Jordan Hugel, who actually did attack the six yard box quite well, but not with the efficiency that uh, of goal scoring efficiency that you would have liked. I think we might have had a number of different, different results. So he is very, very different to those two. He's, uh, he hasn't had a shot, a single shot outside the box. So that's not, that's not anything of a concern, but he takes, he, he takes a lot of shots. He's only been here 15 games and he's already our fourth top scorer. He wins a huge amount of aerial duels, which which the others don't. And he's even pulled on the armband. And I don't think there's any danger anytime soon of Grant or Robinson pulling on the armband. I mean, I have to say, Pete, I think everything that you go through with Carroll just set, screams that on a free transfer, signing him's a no-brainer, isn't it? For me, it is, yeah. You know, when you look at his... I've done a radar for them all, and when you look at that, there's metrics that really stand out for him, and it's it's the obvious ones: the aerial jewels per, per ninety, and the aerial jewels one. And there are some passes, so you know he's very much got a style, which is as that target man. But he also gets gets shots off in good areas, and that's shown in his expected goals, which is 0.36 per ninety, which is the same as Robinson's and Grant's was 0.38 per ninety. So it's you know very slightly behind behind Grant. So despite being a target man and and being an option to hit early and build up, he's he's also getting into good positions. What he does offer that is completely different is, like we say, his, his aerial ability, and that's also shown in the amount of headed shots he's had. He's had 18, 18 of his shots have been with his head, twelve with his left foot, and six with his right foot. And you know, I think the most headed shots from the other strikers is from Grant and Robinson. I think they both had ten. So you know, that's nowhere near Carroll's eighteen, and Carroll's played a lot less minutes. So it gives us an option to to kind of swing those crosses in and have someone to hit with height rather than just looking, you know, maybe at the back post for low crosses or cutbacks or stuff like that. So completely different option to the other, the rest of the strikers really. And and apparently you can play balls over the top for him to run onto as long as Nat Phillips is the defender. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'd have to play him every week. But the other thing with him is that he's he didn't seem to cause a fuss or anything when he was on the bench a lot of the time between kind of as Ishmael was going and Bruce came in, there was a, 
he played there was a lot of minutes where he was on the sat on the bench and he didn't seem to cause up a fuss. So because obviously we're gonna to want to play DK more and if there's not space for the both of them, then Carroll might have to be happy with not getting as many minutes as as he might initially like. Yeah, and you say there about his attitude. I think that's a that's a huge factor. I mean, in a very short space of time, he seems to have built a really good relationship with the with the Albion fans. I I, I haven't I've barely heard anybody who's got a bad word to to say about him. And <laughs> normally the only the only negative things that people say about him are daft things like, oh, he's not the player that he was. It's like, no, he was a he was a Champions League footballer and an England international. I don't think he'd be I don't think he'd be leading the line for Albion against Blackpool if he was um if, if he was the player that he was so I mean if that's the worst thing people have got to say about him then that really it speaks volumes about the bloke but also how he is around the place as well because the the hat the captain's armband doesn't generally get handed out willy-nilly I know people perceive it to be that a little bit nowadays but largely because sometimes the person who gets the captain's armband isn't necessarily the person that the fans would always want it to be because you know it's not the most they're not not the most top thumping player but generally speaking that player is very well respected in the dressing room i mean i always remember a bit of consternation from the fans that jonathan greening was was the albion captain because you know creative jinky midfielder and then turned into a sort of like almost quarterback type um, defensive midfielder but he was never the kind of full throttle Derek McInnes going into challenges type of captain that probably we've been used to in the past but I was around Jono around the club on a day-to-day basis and you see the respect that the other players had for him that the younger players would go to him and uh, and talk to him and that Jono got things sorted out for the other lads as well if the, if they needed somebody to go and speak to the manager Jono would go and do it you know he was a brilliant brilliant bloke and he was hugely respected and to be fair to him from what i hear coming out of the club that's exactly what livermore is around the place as well but the fact that carol has pulled on that armband a couple of times says that he's not only respected by the fans, but he's respected by the players and he's respected by the manager as well. And giving him the armband's very telling. It kind of gives us that insight that we can't see about how he is around the club. It's like you say, you wouldn't get it if you're, you're not a good character and well-respected around the training ground in the dressing room. So it tells us that he is. And yeah, we desperately need a few more characters like that in the squad next season. So, I mean, if we can keep him on, then I'd love us to, but, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few more clubs sniffing around him in, in the summer when his contract's up. No, but all the noises he's made are the right noises, to be fair to him. He's he he said all the right things about about staying. And I suppose I suppose if you're if you're Andy Carroll, do, do you want three clubs in less than twelve months? I I, I don't know. I, I'd like I'd like to think that if we want to keep him, and I don't understand for the life of me why we wouldn't that he would want to he would want to stay maybe unless a premier league club came in for him but even then if a premier league club comes in for him what he runs is a massive risk of finding himself playing a lot less than he than he would for us and i think with carroll's injury record and also his age and the fact that he's a he's a bigger guy as well which is which is a factor in 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 these sorts of things that you do want to play enough that that when you do get given the chance that you don't reoccur an injury and 
and you don't hurt yourself. I'm almost like trying to sell the sell the fact that he should sign to Andy Carroll because I'd love him to stay. And I think, as I say, we're both on the same page on this one. Carroll, hundred percent. If it's doable, sign him up because nothing nothing else makes any sense. Um, before we move on to Grady and Phillips, which are the, uh, which are the last two regular first teamers that I want to talk about, should we just have a quick look at the two? number nines who haven't played a lot this season for us, Pete, um, which are Zahor and DK, two extremely different players. And I think we're going to be in extremely different places over the two of them. I mean, just starting off on, on, on DK, we've seen very little of him, but he has, for that very small sample size, had the most shots per game. He's so where he where he was on the pitch away at QPR for the latter part of that game and for the first half against Peterborough until he got injured in early on in in the second half. He showed an awful lot, and the stats that you got from his time in America and his time at Barnsley showed that there's a heck of a player there. And as much as this season has absolutely fallen apart. We, the one thing we might really benefit from in terms of the way this season has finished is that we are going to give DK the rest and the full pre-season that he needs to get himself back. And by the way, it's probably important that he started that pre-season a little bit earlier than he otherwise would have because it's worth remembering that because of where the World Cup is next year and in terms of the the calendar, the football calendar, it's midway through the season. The season is going to have to start earlier. In fact, I think, I think I'm right in saying it's, it starts last week of July. I think it's really, really early. So there wouldn't have been the full preseason schedule for him to, for him to have if he'd finished this season playing. It would have almost like been where we went from the COVID impacted season to, to, uh, to the following season where there was a very small break in between the two of them and that wouldn't have benefited him. So I think, I think we might end up almost benefiting from the fact that our season has fallen apart in that we get the Daryl DK that we want at the start of next season. Yeah, and we've not seen much of him yet. I've been looking at him to do a bit a piece on him about his time at Orlando and, and Barnsley. So I've been watching quite a bit of him and his time there um, and kind of very uh, dynamic. He likes to make runs in behind and... He makes smart runs in behind. The rate that he's finished that is, I mean, so far in his career, it's been extraordinary. And you can't expect it to stay that high for his whole career because it probably is going to even out. He's currently performing, a, I think, about 140% of his expected goals, which is just not it's just not sustainable. But the way he does shoot is often with a power. Almost every shot he takes is, you know, hard, driven, with his laces or a powerful side foot effort, which his technique is pretty good with that. And when it's on target, it's even more difficult for a keeper to save when it's got that much pace on it. So, you know, he takes his chances well and he gets into good positions, competitive in the air, not obviously not as good as Andy Carroll, but definitely competitive and likes to make those runs in behind. So I think it'll be exciting to watch next year, but I also think we kind of need to be able to slide the balls into him, preferably a number 10, which I'm sure we'll talk about on a different episode. But yeah, I think it'll be exciting next year for sure. John Swift, sorry, something in my throat there. But yeah, no, I agree. We we desperately need that 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 number ten. And then very much because I think there's a lot of positivity about DK. I think really he's the one thing that we can really get excited about because we saw so little of him last season. But what we did see was really quite exciting from a guy who just 
came onto the pitch and just immediately started going at defenders, didn't give them a moment's peace. So I think we can be excited about what we will get from him next season. On the other side of that particular coin, let's just have a quick chat about the one where there's absolutely nothing to get excited about whatsoever, and that is Kenneth Sahor. He is average over the last three seasons. I ran some numbers on him earlier. He's averaging 5.7 games per season. Now, of the, and that's if, that's if you take the, the minutes that he's played rather than counting a substitute appearance as, as a whole game or a game where he was substituted. He has averaged 5.7 completed uh, full 90 minutes per season, which is pathetic over the last three uh, three seasons. The majority of those were on loan at Millwall as well. Um, 868 of those minutes were, were on loan at Millwall. So you want his Albion record. That reads 19 games, three goals, and in terms of the minutes, he averages 3.7 games per season for us. Just to break that down, he has cost us £1 million per 90 minutes that he has pl- played. And he has cost us £2.67 million per league goal that he has scored. All those are league stats. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not counting in playing him when, uh, as part of a, a youth team that gets smashed against Arsenal in, in the League Cup, because that's irrelevant. What was Luke Dowling thinking? I mean, it's just got to be one of eight million quid for this bloke. And there's nothing, there's nothing, by the way, in the data before that to suggest that Zahor was worth anywhere near that kind of money. You've got to wonder what on earth Dowling was, was, was thinking to spend that kind of money on this bloke. Cause he's got to, he's got to be one of the worst signings, probably up there with the Ollie Burke levels. He's got to be one of the worst signings in terms of what he cost in the championship, by the way. Let's remember, we spent 15 million quid on Ollie Burke when we had hundreds of millions of pounds coming in from the Premier League. So you waste a bit of money, but you can get away with that. We spent 8 million quid on Ken Zahor in the championship. I mean, it's just an appalling signing. Yeah, it's a very strange one from Darwin, isn't it? Um, for me, probably the worst signing with, that I've seen the club make. But I don't know what you can say about him really when he's barely played for Albion there's not much you can say about his performances or his or his data but I don't know I'd love I'd love someone to be able to explain to me why we signed him for for that price um and what the thought process was if there was one so I mean we've got another season of him he's got one con- one year left on his contract um, well, and that's the point, isn't it, Pete? We're stuck with him because I think that the research you've done th- uh, throws him up as the club's top earner. And if that if that's the case, he isn't walking away from that contract unless we pay it up in full. And if we pay it up in full, there's there's almost no point. And no one in their right mind is going to touch him, are they? No. From what I could find, it seemed like he was the top earner. Obviously, that's that's not. It's definitely not spot on. It's taken from football managers, so. Take it with a pinch of salt, but yeah, when he's definitely considered as one of the top top earners in the squad. Um, um, sorry, just just to interject there, just to say, by the way, for anybody who's sort of like done a little snort at that, from my time at the football uh, at football clubs, the, the amount the amount of times that I had people say, "Where on earth the football manager get this data right? How do they know what I'm earning?" They they they, they get they are so accurate. So, although t- turning on a computer game to find out what players are earning sounds almost churlish it's anything but it's actually one of the best 
data points for players' contracts. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so going by that, he's one of the top earners in the squad. And, and why would he want to leave where he's getting paid? Probably significantly lower wages. So, yeah, I'm sure he'll be happy to, to see out the, the last year in his contract. And I can't blame him, to be honest. Only people who can blame is, is Dowling and the people that brought him into the club and decided to pay him pay him that much money. Well, moving on from the depressing topic of Kenza Hoare and just to the last two senior players that I, I want to talk about. We, To be honest, we might as well bundle these two together, Pete. And let's talk about Phillips and Grady Diangana. Um Now, we'll start off with Grady because it's a difficult one. You look, go through the numbers and I mean, look, I, I'm, I'll hold it, hold my hand up. I am, I'm, I'm a fan of Grady. I, I feel like, I don't feel like he ever goes onto a football pitch and doesn't try. I feel like he goes out there and he wants to make things happen. But my goodness me, when you go through the data, it just, it just hasn't happened for him this season. He's the most dispossessed player in the entire squad. He does win us a, a lot of fouls. Um, he's uh, second best in terms of pass completion rate. Um, he's also makes the most dribbles per match. I think his numbers are the same as Taylor Gardner Hickman. So he's equal, he's equal on, on, on that, but he doesn't, com- he hasn't completed many of them. And when you put his, his numbers side by side with what he did two years ago in this division, it's it's crazy. There's no there's there's absolutely no comparison in terms of the quality. I mean, just to take the very basic numbers, this season is two goals, one assist, 0.8 shots per game. In 1920, it was eight goals, six assists, 1.6 shots per game. And there's only 130 minutes different between the two, which he could quite I mean he could quite conceivably make up in the last two games if 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 Bruce was to start him. I, I mean, I don't know where, in terms of actually whether we keep or whether we let Grady go, I don't think the latter is really an option. It's very similar conversation to Grant in terms of the amount of money that we've invested in him. I'm almost certain there will be a number of installments in, in that because I can't imagine we paid all of that transfer fee straight up front to West Ham. And you're just not going to get anywhere near your money back for him either. So you probably gamble for one more season. Can we get Grady back to where he was? If we put a number 10 in there, maybe he can start making those combinations. If we, if Bruce were to go to a back four, which I think is probably unlikely because he's played a back three with, with, with his teams in the past. But if he was to go to a similar system to, that which we played under Billich in the last promotion season. Maybe we see that Grady Dean Garner again. Maybe we start to see some money, some output out of our investment. Maybe we get some value in him that if we did choose to sell him off, we might get somewhere near what, what we paid for him. But at the moment, Pete, it just feels over the last two years, like this is going to ebb away to one of those things where he probably goes to another club and because he gets a fresh start, a fresh break, and he can almost kind of like wash himself clean of what happened at West Bromwich Albion, that that, that they might he, they they might get a wonderful, wonderful footballer. But you can't help wondering, is it ever going to happen for Grady at the Albion? I really hope it does. And I've still got faith it will. He's definitely the most exciting player in the squad, the best player to watch. I just think if we get into a a better style of football in terms of having more possession and moving the 
ball around a bit more and being more comfortable in possession, then he might have more chance to show what he can do because we've got that much more of the ball. And if we do lose it, we we know we're going to get it back and be comfortable with it. So we can kind of, you know, have a bit more freedom to take more risks and, and show us, you know, the kind of magic that he, he has produced. You know, he's, like you say, he's been attempting quite a lot of dribbles and he's completed them at a decent rate, but he's just not really got anything in the final third this season. Um, his expected assists, when you take it as a per 100 passes basis, is really, really low um, when you compare it to other strikers in the or the forwards in the uh, the championship this season. And when you look at his expected goals per 90, um, again, that's that's low. I think that's I think it was about 0.17. So, you know, if you take that over, that's probably about a goal every every nine games or so, which, you know, that's not great coming from one of your wingers and one of your most expensive players. The thing that did stand out to me and kind of shocked me is the, the number of interceptions he has per game and the number of defensive duels. I think that's the defensive... Well, both of them are quite a bit higher than any of our other strikers. And just from watching him, I don't think it's, an, it's something that stood out to me, really. It's not the, does the, that does that emphasize my point that he works hard? Yeah, I'd say so, um, especially with the defensive duels, because you know having a high number of them mean you're working hard out of possession as well as in possession. Well, out of possession, and then you kind of notice a bit more when players are working hard in possession. Yeah, it's having a, a great winger, is it? Having a lot of defensive duels and interceptions, but if you can get everything else right, then it's definitely a really um, useful skill to have to be involved in defensive actions. Just last word on Grady, Pete. I presume you're in. You're, I mean, you say you you really hope it's going to happen for him. I presume you're in in the keep camp. And I mean, for anybody who thinks that he should go, do you even think there's a market for him at a price that we would want to sell him? He's he's similar to Grant in the fact that he struggled to find a buyer. Um, I think he is on on relatively high wages for the squad as well. So you might struggle to find um, someone to take him on loan for his four wages. Um, I have more hope for him than Grant that he will come good. And yeah, for me, he's in the in the keep pile. And yeah, I hope he'll come good. And I think he will if we can get a good squad and a style that suits him a bit more next season. And the last senior player I want to talk about is Matt Phillips. Now, for me, Pete, when I looked at the numbers, I was actually pleasantly surprised at... Uh, Phillips's numbers, you know, 1.2 shots per game, which is the most outside of the out, what I'd call the out and out strikers, Robinson, Grant, Carroll, um, Hugel, DK. Then he's also completed two out of three of his dribbles, which is a pretty good, uh, pretty good return. He's made more key passes than, than Grady as well. Just the, the problem with Phillips, as far as I can see, it's just how much we've had him on the pitch. Because actually, when you look at what he's produced on the pitch, his numbers are decent. But he's been on the pitch 1,395 minutes. Now, that's less than Malumbi and Reach, both of whom I would call squad players this season. So that's got to be a big concern because Phillips shouldn't be a squad player. Phillips started the season as our number nine. So Phillips should be more than that for me. And he should be he should be posting bigger numbers than that. But it's not just this season where there's where there's a drop off. He only played eight eighteen hundred minutes last season. And that was the first time for five seasons he hadn't managed two thousand minutes or more in a in a season. And I have to wonder whether at his his age, 
which I think he's uh, he's 31. Is his body catching up with him a, a little bit? Because that seems to be the biggest problem with with me over Matt Phillips. I think at this level, I don't think there's any denying that he's actually a, a decent player. When you look at what he produces, okay, yeah, he can be a bit frustrating. He can be a bit of an enigma at times. We we know that. We know what you get with Matt Phillips. He's the sublime to the ridiculous. But I think there, there's certainly an asset in there. But if he's not available to you for big chunks of the season, as he hasn't been this season, well, he's not an asset, is he? No. And in my head, I've, I think I've always had him down as a player that's, you know, he picks up a few more injuries than most. But like you say, these last two seasons have been worse than the rest. So it's a difficult one, really, because like you say, when he is playing, then his numbers are, are pretty good. Um, I think he's got the best expected assist numbers out of all of our strikers. So he, he can get the, that ball into into the dangerous areas um, for his teammates. He takes players on and does it at a, a decent rate. Yeah, he's he's quite direct when he's got the ball, which is is good to see. You don't necessarily need all your players like that, but it can impact the game when he, he gets running and picks on a man and puts a good ball into to the box. And we've seen in previous seasons in arriving at the back post for tap-ins and he'll chip in with a few goals um, and some that aren't tap-ins. I remember one against Forrest actually that he drilled into the top corner. But if he's fit for most of the season, he'll definitely chip in with goals and, and assists. So he's a good player. But yeah, the issue is, can we keep him fit? And is it worth having having him in the squad, taking up a portion of the wages. Yeah, but then again, I suppose the the other argument there, Pete, is and I completely see that, and if it was more viable, he'd probably be one that I'd be quite up for for moving on because I, I do think I'm seeing a deterioration in the amount of minutes he's playing in a season. I'm I'm worried that he's, his body is letting him down a little bit, but he's got two years left. He's 31 years old, and okay, he's not one of the top, top earners in the squad, but he's still going to be on what is a pretty decent championship wage. He's another one you've got to beg the question, is there a market for? And it, it's noticeable, by the way, that we're seeing this a lot. But unfortunately, this is the, for, for people who want us to move out 10, 12 of these players in the summer, this is the reality that we are paying a lot of players quite a lot of money. They're all of, a, well, a lot of them are 28 years old plus, and not a lot of them are out of contract this summer. And the real difficulty is, if you do want to move them on, is there a market for them? Is is there a market for Phillips? Probably more so than the others, in the respect that his wages reportedly aren't as high as, as the, the other forwards. So it'd be easier for a club to take him on. But, I mean, there's no way we're recouping the six, six, seven million, whatever it was that we paid from um, from QPR. Yeah, like you say, 31, um, and with not the best injury record, you're definitely not get, going to get any of the smart clubs taking him on. But, you know, I think it'll be a bit easier to move on if we try to than, than... So what you're saying is there's quite a few stupid clubs out there. Yeah, I think there is, to be <laughs> honest. But <laughs> maybe yeah, one Unfortunately, of them we're one of them if we bought Kenza Hall for 8 million oh, yeah. quid. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, there's no denying that, but <laughs> hopefully one of the other ones might might pick him up for us. Oh, yeah. Hopefully there's one dafter than us out there, basically. <laughs> right, just very quickly to finish off, there's three there's three young players that I just want to give a quick mention to, but I, I think I'm certainly on the page of all three of these would probably be worthwhile going out on loan. Callum Morton, he's he obviously started the season at Fleetwood, who were 
bottom end of League One, and he he scored four goals, four assists in eighteen games. Decent return there, but he's gone to Peterborough. He's only played two hundred ninety seven minutes. He struggled for game time. You can understand why they're in a relegation battle. They probably don't want to put a young kid in, um, but it's been difficult for him. I, for me, he needs another loan, but probably top end of League One because he hasn't scored at any sort of a prolific rate since he had that spell in League Two in 1920 with Northampton and got five goals in nine games that saw them over the line to promotion. So I'd like to see him go out on loan to probably the top end of, of League One. Ryan Tullock is one that I really feel for because every time he seems to get going, he seems to get an injury. He went to Doncaster when Darren Moore was the manager there and then started the season really well, had an unbelievable assist on his debut and was apparently playing really, really well, played really well that day, started the next game and bang, his season was over with an injury. And then he was going to start against Arsenal in the League Cup and then got injured in the warm-up. And you've got to feel for the lad, but he, he is crying out for a loan for me. And then the other one is is Tom Fellows, who we've seen a little bit of on, on team sheets this season, but he's actually only come onto the pitch for 98 minutes over the course of four appearances in the in the league for us and I can see especially with DK coming back that opportunities are going to be even more limited for him next season and I think I think it'd be the only only right thing for his development to send him out on loan what what are your thoughts on that trio Pete? Yeah not much more to say other than try and find loans for all three of them they're all young and and need to get some professional game time under the belt if they're going to develop so Let's hope we can find some some clubs to take him on for you. Brilliant. Well, that is all we have time for today. But join us next week when we will take a look at Albion's midfielders. And if you want to discuss any of the points we raised today, you can always contact us on Twitter at Albion Analysis. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with the McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.